Can I add my welcome to, to Linda's and welcome you here, especially if you're either here for the first time. Please don't run away afterwards. Stay, say hi. Uh, we don't bite. Um, and also, an especially warm welcome if you're here for the week of prayer for Christian unity and you're from the Indian Orthodox or the Catholic community, just again to add to Linda's um, welcome. Um, it's great to have you joining with us this morning. And I especially, along with many others in the church, look forward to joining you for worship, um, I think in a few weeks, in a couple of weeks' time. Um, that's good. I also want to extend a welcome. I know we, we record our, our talks and our reflections in Camborne Church, and, and I started to listen to the talks through the Listen Again online service. And so just in case there's someone who, who doesn't come regularly, um, or someone who perhaps is housebound, who uses the Listen Again as their way of finding out um, about God and about the church, uh, welcome to you, uh, listening virtually. Uh, we welcome you um, to our, our online community, as well as the people who are gathered here today. And a final um, thank you for the welcome that Sarah and I have received uh, for all the support you've given us um, and to the people during the vacancy. And I'm not going to make the mistake of naming individuals because I'm bound to leave out someone and that's bound to cause an upset. So you know who you are. Um, if you've been leading during the vacancy or you stepped up to fill a gap that you feel is insignificant, it's not insignificant, and we're more than grateful uh, for all the work that's been done in um, the meantime uh, before I uh, arrived. As you get to know me, um, you'll discover that one of my virtues is not patience. Um, I disguise it very well most of the time. Um, you might never find out that I have a problem with being impatient on occasion, and I hope and pray dearly that that is the case. However, um, patience doesn't come immediately to me. Um, I don't like waiting, and when someone tries to tell me that all good things come to those who wait, I first of all think, well, that's fortune cookie wisdom for you. Um, secondly, how can you possibly know um, that all good things will come to me if I wait? But maybe that's because of my nature. But urgency and immediacy are two things which characterize parts um, of the fabric of our society these days. And just as I'm going to give you some examples of that now, think of your own examples in your heads. You can apply for a loan um, in minutes or seconds, and well, that's a whole other talk in itself. That's a big issue in society at the moment. You can, uh, you can have your goods and services, which you buy online, delivered the very next day. And I've discovered, to my great joy, that Amazon will deliver books the same evening um, if, you, um, if you order them by a certain time of the day. We have drive throughs at our coffee shops now. It's not just McDonald's, it's Costa as well to get your latte or your caffeine fix. Um, and we have immediate access to a whole world of information at our fingertips um, on Google and, and other search engines. And, and we're used to being able to access information, products and services immediately. In fact, we get quite angry when we can't have things in, um, right away and we have to wait. And yet those of you who are at my licensing on Monday would have heard the, the talk um, given where we were urged to be more contemplative in our lives. We were urged to resist regularly the culture of busyness and of rushing. 
and to create those spaces, those, those gaps in our lives just to be, just to be who we are in front of God and to take stock and reflect. And, and I, as much as anyone else, took a lot of heed of, of those words. Imagine then, as Steve last week began to unpack for us what it was like to be a faithful Jew, familiar with the teachings of the Torah and the prophets, that one day the promised Messiah would come, but until then they just had to wait and wait and wait. I wonder how readily we would wait such a long time for the fulfillment of the promise that the Jewish people waited centuries to realize. And then the crowds who are gathered with John look up as he proclaims, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I'm going to do a bit of Bible study with you this morning. So if, if you've got your fingers in the passage in John chapter 1, 29 through 34, we're going to go to a few passages. Um, if you're joining us for the first time and the names of the books of the Bible mean nothing to you, please don't feel embarrassed. Just prod someone near you because I don't have the page numbers readily to hand. Um, but we're starting in John chapter 1 um, and, um, and that passage that we heard Nigel read to us. So Jesus says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Do you notice it, it's never sins? It's never sins, plural. It's sin. It's something absolute. It, it, you know, it's, it's not one individual action that, that Jesus came to die for, but the state or the presence of sin in its entirety in all the world. And I think it's significant and it's not just something that we should skirt over because we talk about individual sins. And in society, we talk about things like seven deadly sins and we talk about a hierarchy of sins as being, you know, it's, it's okay um, to nick a penny sweet from a shop, though it's not. Um, um, I was trying to think of an example off the top of my head and that might be a mistake. Um, but there are some things which we would all... <laughs> I've never done that, by the way. <laughs> just, just to start as I mean to go on. <laughs> Uh, but there are things that we'd all agree, um, yes, that, that is definitely sin, that is definitely um, wrong. And we tend to put them in this hierarchy of wrongdoing. And, and, and the problem with that is it's not reflected in the scriptures. The Bible refers to sin in its absolute sense and, and everything that comes within it rather than itemizing or defining individual sins as being one far worse than the other. And that's a challenge for us, because sometimes we like to say, well, I'm a good person, I've only done this, that, and the other, but he's a very bad person, he's done this. And it's not reflected in the scriptures, and sometimes we need to challenge ourselves um, about that. But the sin that Jesus, who now approaches John, came to deal with was any action or attitude, indeed any thought in the silence of our minds, that turns us away from the life that God calls us to live. And so in Mark's account of the baptism of Christ, um, you don't need to turn to this, I'm only going to share one verse, um, but in Mark's account, um, which you'll find again in chapter 1 of Mark's Gospel, um, following Jesus' baptism and John's subsequent arrest, Jesus goes to Galilee proclaiming, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. Jesus' invitation to us is that it's clear that he has revealed the love of God 
and wants us to live firmly for him. Sin is therefore not any one act, but it's the heart um, of us turning away from the heart of God and looking in any direction which doesn't point us towards God um, and towards his will for our lives. And Jesus then, um, in the, when John says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away, who obliterates, who, who, who finally and victoriously deals with sin, absolutely, once and for all, look, there's the Lamb of God who does all that. Jesus is sharing with us that we can now approach God without fear, uh, without fear, without being so mindful of our failures because we've had revealed to us a God who loves us and a God who forgives us and a God who has dealt with the absolute entirety of sin and wrongdoing. And we can come before God as his precious children, beloved in his sight. Sin absolutely dealt with once and for all. Let's move on. And um, whereas the other Gospels... Um, of Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell the story of Jesus' baptism as it happens in the moment. Um, John recalls it. Um, it's it's a quite a Bible study point for those of you who like doing um, a bit of Bible study or exegesis. Um, but John is recalling the baptism. We're not in the midst of it now. John is looking back and he testifies to what he saw. He has witnessed Jesus' baptism and now sees Jesus returning from the desert where he's been tempted by Satan repeatedly, yet has prevailed. Sin in the desert would have for Jesus meant to not hold fast to the promises of God and to have looked at the tempting offers that the devil puts in his way um, to, to have food and to have power and glory and all manner of tempting things, but that would have taken Jesus away from God, which obviously wasn't going to happen. And Jesus triumphed over those temptations. And Jesus returns to the place of his baptism, and John gets to see again, look, there is the Lamb of God who has taken away the sin of the world. And then the description of Jesus as the Lamb of God is significant. So often in the Gospels, we find that the authors will use language to connect their audience with the message being taught. So in this instance, the use of the word Lamb is actually significant and meaningful to John's Jewish audience. Go back, if you will, to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis being at the front of the Bible, the very first book, chapter 22. It's a passage I'm sure those of you who have been reading the Bible for a while will recognize. It's the story of Abraham and Isaac. Give you a few moments just to turn that up. And here we have the story of Abraham being told by God to take his only son Isaac and to offer him as a sacrifice to God. God was testing Abraham's faithfulness and he ultimately intervened to stop the sacrifice taking place and instead a ram was offered as a burnt sacrifice to God. But there's a key question that his son Isaac asks of Abraham in that passage and it's in verse 7. Um, Isaac, noting that the sacrifice has been prepared, that the wood and fire um, used uh, for that sacrificial offering has been set up, 
Isaac is curious as to where the, um, the lamb or the ram for the sacrifice um, is to come from because he doesn't see it. Um, and he asks this question of his father, you know, where is, the, where is the ram for the sacrifice? And Abraham, in verse 8, tells his son, God will provide the lamb. Words packed with meaning. Words which, you know, we see fulfilled very much in the Gospels. God will provide the Lamb. And then again, um, if you want a Bible hop, uh, forward into the prophets to the book of Isaiah, um, chapter 53, you'll see another great passage of Scripture. And you'll see, uh, we don't have time um, to read through it all, but you might want to read through it in your own time later. A great passage of scripture which talks about um, the the Lord and and his coming and ultimately what happens um, to to Jesus. Um, But in that passage, uh, we see um, Jesus referred to as, as the lamb who bears our sins for us. And centuries later, long after the events of Genesis, and long after the prophecies of Isaiah, we find John standing by the Jordan, looking up and seeing Jesus who has been baptized coming back and saying, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the long-awaited Messiah. Faithful Jews waiting centuries to realize this is coming towards them. Words packed with so much meaning. And remember that Jesus is returning to the site of his baptism after the temptations of the desert. The passage moves on to recall what John said and saw when Jesus came to be baptized. And you might be thrown by the comments of John, I myself did not know him, given that the passage opens with a clear statement that this is the Lamb of God coming towards us. So why is John confused? Well, he's saying he didn't know him um, at the time of Jesus' baptism. Um, So John knew um, that his ministry uh, was to point people towards God. That was John the Baptist's ultimate purpose. Uh, And so crowds came to be baptized by John. And, And have you ever wondered how John differentiated Jesus Uh, from all the crowds who came to be baptized. And that's ultimately the point, um, or one of the points that this passage makes. John tells us how he knew that one of the people coming to him for baptism was the Lord. Um, So he says this, and, and John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. John saw God reveal his Son through sending down the Holy Spirit, which remained on Jesus. You know, in the Old Testament, the Jewish kings, um, they, they, wouldn't, they couldn't speak as a king uh, or begin their, their rule or reign until they'd been anointed. Um, there's often in, in the scriptures and in history an act which, which sets up, you know, whether it be a king um, or a prophet or, or Jesus himself to begin his public ministry. Um, and just so I was licensed 
on, on Monday, and, and I get to begin with great pleasure my ministry here amongst you. So in the passage today, we recall how Jesus began his public ministry uh, with his baptism by John in the Jordan. And the sign which differentiated Jesus was that the Spirit came down from heaven and remained on Jesus. And do you know what? Our ministries all begin with our baptism. That, that's a key part of what baptism is all about. It's about us beginning, each and every one of us who are baptized, a new ministry, using the gifts that God has given us um, and placed uniquely within each one of us um, to build his kingdom in this place. And so all the baptized share in this responsibility that, that ministry is not mine to do to you, but is ours to do together. And the wonderful thing here is that we're sharing at the beginning of this week of Christian unity uh, with all our brothers and sisters in Christ, whether you worship in the Indian Orthodox community or the Roman Catholic community or, or, or in Camborne Church. Baptism is the fundamental thing that unites us. Whichever tradition of the church you come from, high, low, or anything in between, whichever denomination of Christendom you come from, Baptist, URC, Methodist, Anglican, you know, Roman Catholic, Quaker, um, Indian Orthodox, um, or, or any other I haven't mentioned, we are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that shared baptism becomes the source of our unity. And, and there, there are great divisions, as we all know, in the church, but we are striving to be a people united by our baptism and working for peace within the church and being a, a, a revealer of peace in the world around us. And the glue that holds us together is, is our shared baptism in Christ. It's a powerful thought. My bishop in the Diocese of um, Landaff, who, who is the Archbishop of Wales, um, Barry Morgan, in a speech to the governing body of the church in Wales, told members this. Every member of the Christian community who has been baptised is a disciple of Jesus and has gifts and therefore a ministry to offer. Can I tell you, so much of the time we spend doubting ourselves, but the gifts that God has placed within you were intentionally placed within you? And he wants you to use them. And I think I said this when I came to preach a review, so I, I'm nicking something from that talk now. Um, but the church doesn't fully work as the church unless you play your part. Um, so it's both a challenge but also an affirmation um, that you have a part to play and that you're not inadequate or unworthy, um, that God has placed great gifts within you and that the church is only fully the church um, when you play your part. Um, that's really important to take from this morning. Jesus came back um, to John uh, after being tempted in the desert. And we know what it is to be tempted. And we know how often when we try to resist temptation, it becomes all the more harder to resist temptation because the devil begins to take an interest in why we're resisting so hard uh, and tempts us harder. And if you notice, um, the temptations that Jesus would have faced in the desert were powerful temptations you know, food in the midst of great hunger, um, you know, to, to jump off the top of the temple and be caught with angels. Um, I, I don't even see Dynamo um, doing that in, in, in our day and age. Um, you know, being presented with all the kingdoms of the world and, and great power and glory at his fingertips. 
powerful temptations. And we face modern parallels with with money and with all sorts of of other temptations that, that battle with us as sort of inner demons in our lives. And yet we have this example of Christ who, having faced these powerful temptations, came back full circle to the point at which his public ministry started his baptism. And we are invited this morning to do the same. To remember in your minds, if you're baptized, the promises that you made or were made for you. That, that you, know, you might have reaffirmed at a confirmation service, or if you were baptized as an adult, you made for yourself. We baptized Isabella um, at the 9.30 um, service this morning, which was a beautiful uh, occasion and, and, and wonderful to, to see. And we look forward to seeing what Isabella's gifts are and how she can use them in, in years to come um, for the service of the kingdom. But I wonder if you know this morning that God has forgiven all the sin in the world. And that enables us to come back full circle to the point at which our Christian journey started. Back to that baptism where we entered into the life of God and his church. And we began to recognize that because of what God has done for us, we can be used as agents of his kingdom. Just as the Spirit revealed Jesus to John, so the Spirit living in us allows us to be a revelation of God to the world. And that's a mind-blowing thought, that each of us here today can be a revelation of God to the world because of God living by his Spirit in each one of us. Can we be a people? Can we be a church in the widest sense of the word? who bring the revelation of God's goodness to the people of this community. Shall we just, um, welcome, shall we just pause for a moment as we, as we pray, and then I think the worship team, the worship band are going to come and lead us as we respond. Let us pray together. Father, you know each of us by name. You knew us before we were born. You knew the span of our years, even before we had the first. You know every hair in our heads. You know the thoughts in our minds. You know the emotions of our hearts. And we call you Abba, Father. Father, we thank you for our shared baptism for the people of God, the baptized. And we ask you to equip us and give us confidence to step out in faith and to serve you in the world around us. That we may carry wherever we go your Holy Spirit, bring in a revelation of your love and goodness to everyone we may meet. Give us your eyes, give us your ears, give us your heart and mind to see your purposes for this community. Amen.